Welcome to the Upland Nation podcast. Scott Linden here, your guide, as we head back into the field, the forest, and uh, the training yard, among other things. We'll even go into the range this week, in fact, in a big way. I'm really excited to have Don Curry back as my guest this week, and you should be too. Many of you tell me that your number one priority is becoming a better shooter, and I can't think of a better guy to help us do that. He's a pro shotgun coach, a master gun fitter, the chief instructor for the National Sporting Clays Association. He's a bird hunter. He'll be taking us to school on some of the hardest shots we encounter in the field. And then we'll talk about the pause that refreshes. Yeah, that's our Handle It segment, all about foot care for your dog. And then we'll have your advice on that absolute gotta have hunting apparel so stick around there's something for everybody this week on the upland nation podcast we're brought to you by sage and breaker gun care products pointer shotguns mid-valley clays and shooting school true lock choke tubes midwayusa.com hey welcome to purina pro plan sport and high-vis shooting systems both new sponsors this week Warmer, sooner, lighter, earlier. Put those together and it means getting up at the crack of dawn. Yeah, uh, 5.30-ish around here in the high desert just to get enough miles in for Flick. Uh, yeah, I'm okay with it, but I'm carrying a lot. 64 ounces of water these days just to give him a six-mile run. I know that might be a little bit of overkill, but I'd rather have too much than not enough. And we're going out there in the sagebrush and the junipers and the sand and the big rocks and the little rocks. So trying to keep him in shape this time of year, a little bit more of a challenge. You probably have your own challenges in that regard from humidity to um, heat. Anyway, on top of all of that, we're still working on the uh, woe to anything. Just finished that video for Midway USA, by the way, uh, part one of the uh, introduction to woe. I'll share that with you more as it is ready to be released. Uh, All about voices and uh, all the other cues you can use, and we're working on those. The one right now that I really need to keep going on is that gunshot thing. Yeah, I want him to slam on the brakes when he hears a gunshot because he's such a terrible marker of downed birds. So maybe it'll give him a, you know, a microsecond more to see that bird as it drops if somebody else shoots it from somewhere else or whatever. So uh, that's our um, ongoing goal in between all the other things we're trying to get together. You, I asked recently, and thank you, because some great advice here I uh, put on the social media pages. Me. For me, it's a Filson guide sweater. I just love that thing. Um, I'm told it looks good, but more importantly than any of that, it is just so rugged and warm. So what stuff do you absolutely positively have to wear for your hunting trips? Sabrina Serna says, her crispies for my feet. Yeah, I'm wearing mine now, too, Sabrina. Yeah, by the way, those are boots. That's a brand name, Crispy. And she also likes Final Rise gloves for her, well, of course, for her hands. David Johnson has Russell Bird Shooter boots. I enjoy mine as well. Thank you so much, Joe Gagno, for honchoing that project a while back. David DeSmither, an orange hat. Great idea. Yeah, let's let's all agree. Wear more orange. All right. Travis Hampton has a Columbia fleece. He layers it with a uh, synthetic shirt. That works pretty well till it gets below freezing. Uh, Ryan Chase, Army Issue Waffle Top. Man, that is old school stuff. Yeah, And then I remember those jungle boots. Vietnam era jungle boots. Yeah, you probably do too, Ryan. John Pivetta, Filson Guide Vest, Tin Cloth Upland Hunting Coat. Yes. Just classics, aren't they? By the way, they never break in. They are like that forever. That tin cloth is... um, I do have one good friend who's actually worn out a couple pairs of tin cloth shaps, but uh, 
Nobody. Well, yeah, I saw another pair on a TV shoot. There, there was more duct tape than tin cloth left. Uh, Gordon Vavrick likes Kuyu and Kenetrek boots. L.L. Uh, Bean Upland vest pack. Best value. Holds a limit of chuckers with a few quail in there as well. I wouldn't know what that feels like, Gordon. Um, James Inbody is all about Irish Setter 808 boots. Unfortunately, you know, isn't, in, isn't this the truth? I am so lucky, though. I can get stuff by the twos and threes if I really need to. Uh, he says they've been discontinued. Yeah, so um, especially with footwear, I hear this all the time. If you like it, buy another pair. John Lewis likes his Burden Light vest or Sitka Mountain pants. Well, the Burden Light, uh, thank you. I helped redesign pieces of that a while back. David Gilbertson is like me. He uses leather gloves. Um, David, it's been a while. I can't remember what yours look like. Mine are um, calf roping gloves. Uh, they got stuff in all the right places to uh, protect your your hand when you're uh, dallying, for example, or when you're running down the rope. Uh, you may not need that, but I sure like leather because we are dealing with barbed wire and thorny stuff and uh it's uh just another level of protection <laughs> david klopp says the favorite thing he wears is his Brittany and a chief upland vest yeah more power to you uh kevin o'brien is of like mind to me the sweater um jim hayes it would have been that columbia vest finally gave up the ghost at the end of you know i you loved that vest again, Jim. You should have bought another one. Um, uh, I I am not the kind of guy, lucky I guess, knock wood. I I seldom wear things out. I I'm given something else that's um, more fun or um, more modern or something like that. So, um, oh, and then Bobby Cole. By the way, by, we will have him on soon. Uh, hands down on the final rise vest we'll have matt on very soon so stand by for that all sorts of great advice on what to bring what to wear and uh someday we'll talk about what to do with it once you're wearing it so uh stay in touch here on the upland nation podcast we're brought to you by midway usa they carry just about everything for shooting hunting in the outdoors the address midwayusa.com uh, lots of stuff for you and me from those crispy boots on my feet right now to dummy launchers to uh you know clay target throwers i've been eyeballing a clay target thrower so i can get out a little bit more the range is a little bit less convenient so uh, maybe if i have my own i'll get out a little bit more they have a large selection at midwayusa.com and you know 20,000 of those products ship Free. So take a long look at MidwayUSA.com. And then, if you aren't already a fan, consider Pro Plan Sport from Purina. It's designed for active, hardworking dogs. You've seen the ads in the magazines. Virtually all the champions in our world are fed Pro Plan Sport. Their performance formulas available for all stages from puppy to senior everything in between a wide variety available from purina pro plan sport to help your dog perform their best in the field and in life one of the reasons concentrated nutrition that optimizes oxygen metabolism yeah just like the um, the serious athletes they need that vo2 max to increase endurance during a long hunt learn more about them at ProPlansport.com. Oh, always good to have him back because I always learn something. And believe me, when it comes to shooting, I need all the help I can get. Maybe you too. At least that's what you tell me. Don Curry is a professional shotgun coach. He's a master gun fitter. He's the chief instructor for the National Sporting Clays Association. The guy's written a couple books, including one in particular on stuff that we might want to pay attention to. And he's got some DVDs. It's all at his website, doncurry.com. Welcome back to the Upland Nation. 
Thank you, Scott. It's great to be back. I know .com is not your last name, but I thought I'd get it in before <laughs> I forgot it. <laughs> no, I appreciate that. Um, so, uh, how you been? <laughs> I've, I've been I've been great. You know, um, I, I don't mind disclosing I'm 62 years old, and as I've uh, uh, gotten a little older, I, you know, I've sort of uh, said, well, you know, I'm going to sacrifice a little bit of my teaching uh, and fitting time. Uh, to really enjoy what I love the most, which is uh, uh, hunting, both uh, upland bird as well as uh, dove, and and uh, as as well as African hunting. I've got an African trip uh, just about once once every year. It's two years, and, and one coming nice. up in September for uh, both both uh, birds and and uh, plains game. Well, let's talk about that first because I, you know, that is a trip that I've been told I should make. It's a life-changing trip for anybody, but especially the bird hunting side. Tell me more about how that came about and what you're going to be hunting in Africa. Well, um, I don't know yet what we're going to be hunting this year. Last year, um, I hunted rock pigeon and dove, and mm. I've actually got a video. I haven't really posted it yet, but um, we, we've got a we had a video crew um, uh, vidding on us, but it was a lot of fun. In fact, the uh, the person who uh, I don't want to say guided, but he arranged the hunt and uh, was a, a gentleman that runs the uh, wing shooting magazine for South Africa. Oh. Uh, it's their their sort of country um, magazine on wing shooting, and uh, he, he said to me at the end of the day. He said, um, you know, that was an okay shoot. And I said, well, here's the thing. If I couldn't load fast enough, um, that's better than an okay shoot. <laughs> yeah, that's a, yeah. I don't, I don't think there's any other uh, more clear indicator except perhaps maybe running out of ammo. Exactly. exactly. I love it. Well, tell, yeah. tell me about that kind of shooting because, you know, it sounds to me like it, you know, it, over here, of course, a dove hunt is pretty much past shooting for the most part. Is that how it works over there in the Africa? Well, and, and that's the neat thing about, uh, I think, dove hunting, uh, you know, and, and that goes for pigeon as well, um, that you're, you're going to be, um, you're going to encounter many different uh, angles of shots yeah right? yeah um you're you're gonna have your crossing targets uh you're you're coming in going away targets uh, as well as what we refer to as quartering targets uh, i don't know if that's uh widely known among your listeners in yeah, terms of yeah. uh, uh, uh as it applies to birds but basically it's anything at an angle that's between a crossing target and a uh, straight going out or coming in target um, you know, 45 degrees uh, yeah. across your front, whether it's outgoing from your left to your right, or it's incoming from from your left to your right. But 45 degrees plus or minus. Any so anything in between a crossing target and a and a, a going away coming in target. Well, we're going to talk more about all of those things uh, also today because I want you to take me to school on a couple of my hardest targets. Um, but first off, would you rank that African uh, hunt last year as as one of the high points, or did you do anything in the states that uh, that supersedes that? Uh, you know, I I don't think. Um... I, I I went duff, duff, uh, duck hunting in California a couple of years ago, and uh, it, it was a, there was a lot of action there. But uh, you know, I, I know that uh, a lot of folks look like going to Argentina, um, and if you're really into volume, I guess that's pretty cool. But I, I really like the pace um, of this particular hunt, so it does rank up yeah. uh, with, with some of the top hunts I've been on because the the pace was good. You know, you could. Uh, every once in a while when it when it got heavy you could sort of pick and choose which uh you know which birds you were going to shoot and which uh you know what angles you were going to um master on that particular move yeah so. yeah I, I i i don't have enough of those i i usually shoot at anything that flies the odds are always against me <laughs> well so um so the first thing i want to do is kind of just cover the the most important things for us here it is summer and uh, many of us are going to the range, shooting uh, targets that we hope are going to help us make help make us a better bird hunter come fall. Um, 
you see this every day, whether you're giving an individual lesson, doing a seminar, um, whatever it is you're doing, you're seeing the same things over and over again amongst guys like us. What are those things? Well, I, I guess uh, let's talk about it in, in a negative context. Right? Like, <laughs> oh, my like favorite what, topic. <laughs> what are the... Uh, what are the re- what are the most common reasons for a miss? I think yeah. that's what you're getting at. Uh, yeah, you're, you're, yeah, that's why you're a professional instructor and I'm just a schlub. Well, and, and know that I, in the lessons I always turn it around and say, you know, but here's what you need to do. Yeah. So, so the most common reasons. So, so we'll 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 save that for a little bit later. But so the most common reasons for um, the miss sort of depends on um, the angle. But I, I would say, you know, going straight going out and straight coming in targets are pretty basic, right? You're, yeah. you're just pointing and shooting. Um, and if you are doing uh, committing blasphemy and, uh, and actually aiming, uh, you can get away with it uh, on the going out and coming in targets. But once you, yeah. once you have a little more angle going on, you, you can't really – you really need to just uh, – uh, focus with the eyes and let the hands go to where the eyes are. So uh, shoot. A lot of people refer to it as instinctively, mm-hmm. but um, which is a little bit of a misnomer. But but uh, anyway, those those are the easy ones. The the ones that I so let's talk about a crosser. So a crossing target. The the biggest um, reason for a miss that I see on a crossing bird, let's say is that uh, we're moving to the bird and we might even be moving a little in front of the bird but what the shooter does is they'll they'll broaden their focus a little bit so we go from from acute focus on let's say the head of the bird and then the shooter backs off a little bit with their eyes and engages their peripheral vision to measure the barrel target relationship and when that happens they almost always miss behind so, so you could you could say, well, okay, the, the the most common miss is a miss behind, but the idea is you keep need to keep swinging. Yeah, and that's yeah. that's also a big misnomer because the the idea is we don't need to artificially add lead by continuing to swing. What we need to do is keep our eyes on the bird with an acute focus on the bird, uh, and in, in so doing, our hands will move with the target. Um, so the whole idea of, hey, I'm stopping the gun. I, I've got to do something to, to avoid stopping the gun, so I need to keep swinging. No, that's so stopping the gun is simply a symptom of a, a visual softening or a visual disconnection of, right. of the eyes from the, the target. You, uh, thank you. Goodbye. That was funny. <laughs> that, that is so incredibly clairvoyant you've never seen me well maybe you have seen me shoot on tv but uh, i hope not but th- you've just described the biggest issue i have you can focus on that beak or on the red patch or whatever and then at some point you're you, you called it focus i'm gonna your peripheral vision something else you just widen it out and all of a sudden you miss yes yeah, so, so a little um analogy i guess that i use or a visualization that i use is a magical mag light and I, <laughs> I tell my shooters about this magical mag light because i want them to understand how the eyes need to focus on the target whether it's a bird or a clay whatever it is and, and there's a lot of science behind this that I, I won't bore you with but um it's the way the eyes work um, when athletes attempt to engage a moving target with a tool, whether that's a hockey stick, a tennis racket, a baseball bat, whatever it is, okay? Mm-hmm. So there are certain things that the eyes do, and there have been a lot of very smart people, smarter than I am, doing uh, that have done a lot of studies on this stuff. So they, they know how elite athletes use their eyes versus those that, that are not, okay? So the, the use of the eyes in a proper way versus... A less effective way so think about the, the mag light we all know that a mag light if we open up the bezel we get this wide beam right sure and then if we tighten down the beam we know we, we get that that um, that beam compresses to the smallest point right but my magical mag light once we can comp- once we twist that 
to its, uh, so the beam is at its narrowest or, or uh, smallest, it then converts to a laser pointer. So that's wow. my magical mag light. Uh -huh. It goes from wide angle to laser pointer, right? Mm -hmm. And the laser pointer is a really um, acute focus on the target. So most of us really don't use our eyes that way throughout the day uh, in our normal life, right? We, we don't acutely focus on a spot on something that's moving. We just don't do it. Mm -hmm. So um, So in order to be really effective at shooting a moving target with a shotgun, we've got to, um, first of all, intellectually understand that we've got to focus harder than we normally do. And that means focusing on a piece of the target, not the whole target. So yeah. when it comes to bird hunting, I always say focus on the beak, focus yeah. on the beak. Mm -hmm. um, so, and when we do that, we feed the brain an, the high definition target information it needs to um, basically perform the subconscious calculation and send the right signals through the nervous system to get the hands where the eyes are looking. So uh, that's a very sort of uh, layman's way of explaining a very complex process that we don't even fully understand. The, even, the, even the smartest guys don't fully understand uh, every aspect of, of how that works. But we, we know a lot more today about how that visual motor system as the... Uh, as uh, Joan Vickers would call it, who's a uh, PhD up in, in Canada, who's written a, a book called Quiet Eye in Action. And I'll probably give you more information than, than you wanted or needed, but, but, but basically the, it, it, comes down, it comes down to a very simple concept, and that is we need to apply sharp visual focus to the target through our shot execution in it, order to yeah. engage the target. And, yep. and, and just, to, just to put a fine point on it, the eyes will guide the hands. Absolutely, 100%. I, I remember reading a book when I, the first season I ever hunted. And I only hunted because I bought a dog and found out it was a bird dog. Now it's my life, <laughs> but, but that's another story. But uh, I missed everything. I finally shot one bird in the butt. Um, and boy, I wasn't, I wasn't going to let that one go no matter what. So then I read a magazine article called the title was shoot like a predator and i thought man this guy has got it figured out he's basically telling me what 30 years later don curry just said and and then i looked at the byline and i realized that past summer i had been on a deschutes river trip with this guy and i taught him how to fish a dead drifted nymph so, <laughs> so i chased him down in idaho and i said well, i taught you how to fly fish teach me how to shoot and <laughs> and in a nutshell he just did what you just explained um it, it, we we call it different things but it was the same advice uh, you know start exactly it, and when people talk about instinctive shooting mm -hmm. um, it, it's a little bit of a misnomer because the one thing we can't afford to do instinctively um if we're gonna hit our targets consistently is that we can't leave it up to the subconscious to focus on the target. That's, that's one thing, or, or the bird, that's one thing we have to do consciously. If we do that consciously, then our subconscious will, will take care of the rest. So, so everybody's been in a situation where they're like, wow, how did I shoot that bird? They just looked at it, they, they pulled up the gun and bang, the, 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 uh, the bird dropped, right? How did that happen? Oh, I just shot instinctively. No, you, when you pulled the trigger, you had acute focus on the bird. Yeah. So sometimes what happens when we have a little longer to look at a bird, such as in a, let's say, a duck scenario, it doesn't happen too much in upland bird hunting because, um, you know, the flush is pretty quick um, and we don't have a whole lot of time to react before the bird is out of range. But in a duck or dove scenario, we, we can actually focus too early. Um, yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and really our intense focus, that acute focus that we need, that laser focus um, using the um, my magical mag light analogy again, that, that laser focus that we need to, to, to kill the target, um, we can only hold that for about a second to a second and a half. So if we focus too early, such as on a long incoming sporting clays target, for example, um, we, we may, our, our, our eye may, our vision may diffuse and we may go to our peripheral vision instead of that 
central focus, what we call a foveal focus, um, you know, uh, just prior to and through our shot execution. So visual follow through is very important. Um, and in normal upland, you know, hunting over dogs, we don't really run into that problem. We're just focusing and shooting. But the, the biggest reason for the miss is number one, uh, an improper or inefficient mount. But number two, uh, the shooter will try to aim at the end and, and just check their barrel to make sure it's aligned with the bird. And the moment they do that, um, you know, they've missed behind. They've lost their foveal focus. Exactly. Well, you you have just cleared up so many things for me, Don. I really am grateful, and I'm going to practice them as soon as possible. Um, let's jump on to that whole gun mount thing because there's a lot of mm-hmm. ways people do that. And I, I was just watching one of my shows and uh, using some things from it, and watching a guy walk in on a pointing dog with his gun, not even at the port arms position, but pointed straight up in the air. Mm-hmm. Uh, like like a marine drill team uh you know he was going to start twirling that thing next i i think right. Uh, right. and i was getting out of the way fast but uh yeah w- w- walk us through that take give me a tutorial on gun mount vis-a-vis a dog that's just gotten birdie and we know he's going to hit the point right there okay take sure. it from take it don Sure. <laughs> Gladly. So, so let, let's uh, build out the scenario uh, that I think you're, you're envisioning. Um, so we're, we're behind a dog. We've got a, a hunting buddy uh, on. So let's say we're on the left-hand side of the dog and we've got our hunting buddy on the right-hand side of the dog. And uh, the, the, the dog's uh, pointing. We're walking up to get online, you know, for, uh, obviously for safety purposes. We don't want to walk in in front of the dog, but we, you know, we want to stay a little bit behind the dog. And so if I'm on the left, my sector is going to be, you know, let's say nine to 12. Okay. Uh, um, and I want my body sort of oriented toward the 1030 or so. Right. Uh, so that's where my, my feet would be pointed. So my left foot, if I'm a right-handed shooter, my right foot, if I'm a, uh, a left-handed shooter would be pointed. Uh, well, sorry, uh, a left-handed shooter would be uh, pointed more toward the uh, one o'clock with their with their right foot. Okay. Yeah, got and it. Yeah, left, yeah. Left-handed shoot. A right-handed shooter would be more ten thirty with their left foot. So once our feet are in in the right position, um, basically the the proper gun mount for a or the proper ready position. Yeah. Uh, as as I think Churchill was the first one that called it the ready position. But basically, it's where you're you're just before you mount the gun, right? So where is that for upland bird? The the barrels are about parallel to the ground, a little bit higher. We don't want to shoot the dog. Mm-hmm. The uh, the comb of the stock, which is the top of the back part of the stock, so it's that part that goes in contact with your cheek when you're fully mounted. So that should be, that line of the top of the stock should be parallel with the forearm, right? Yeah. And the 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 forearm, the, the lower part of the arm, the forearm should be about parallel with the ground, right? And, and again, the stock, the top of the stock parallel with the forearm. And, uh, and basically in a relaxed position. Um, the the weight of the shoulders should be over the balls of the feet, and and our nose needs to be a bit over our toes. And <laughs> if we're in that position, and the heel of the stock, which is the butt of the stock, right, is slightly forward of the armpit, we have that's that's your ready position. And what's g- beautiful about that ready position is the gun can come straight up to the cheek. Um, with moving the front hand and back hand together in unison um, to the target and the cheek simultaneously. Whereas if the, the hunter, and we see it so many times, the hunter starts in that uh, position with the barrel straight up in the air, what happens is um, you have to use a lot of backhand to get the, the back of the gun up to your face. And then what happens is the front of the gun actually ends up going lower than parallel. Yep. So now I have to use a lot of upward gun motion to get to the target. And that many times causes a miss over the top. And it takes another three quarters of a second. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And 
but again, going back to the focus thing, yeah, it's what happens when you you mount from that uh, improper ready position with the barrels high is uh, you, you end up with a lot of muzzle movement as you're pulling the trigger. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So so that serves as a distraction for the eyes, pulling the eyes off the target into the barrel. Got it. Absolutely right. I got. I want to talk about foot position one more time. Um, how f- how far apart are your feet, and how far ahead is your lead foot? Yeah, good question. So so the lead foot uh, for a, a right-handed shooter is the left foot, and and I always say that the heels need to be about eight to twelve inches apart. So it's not a lot of hunters tend to widen their stance and what that does is it causes you to uh one it it limits your range of movement across your your sector yeah um but secondly it can also cause you to lose balance if you um you know swing to to one side or the other whereas uh, um, having your feet a little closer together enables you to um you know execute a little footwork if you need to uh to, to make a turn one way or the other so that's for the left-handed shooter if i'm on the left side of the dog should uh, a right-handed shooter's left foot should be about 10 30 uh the left-handed shooter on the left side of the dog the right foot is the lead foot and that should be about 130 or so got it. um and you know and that enables the shooter to have a very wide range of swing right um but also with the feet being only 12 inches apart it also enables the shooter to do a little footwork if that's needed uh, to get to a bird i love it and and when i did go to see buzz fawcett back in the day and he he was instructing very much the same way you're describing he actually used as a teaching tool uh putting your lead foot actually behind a little bit and raising the heel off the ground that that gives you a little bit more swing it probably forces me to do some things but i I don't want to go down that rabbit hole right now but the whole idea of having a greater arc if you will in your uh shooting lane um is fundamentally dependent on that uh closer feet closer together isn't it yeah i know i think that that's important um, and, and also maintaining one's balance through the shot or two shots yeah. uh, in the case of, of an over and under in, an upland bird, right? So um, a lot of, well, I shouldn't say a lot, but there are shooters that will sort of lunge forward as they execute the shot. And that puts you in a bit of a disadvantage for your second shot to get that uh, coveted double that we all uh, uh, that we all cheer after we we've experienced. Yeah, that. I have read about so. people like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll talk about doubles and 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 a few other kinds of shots. But you have just squared me away. Now I better. I want to go out and shoot right after we're done here. Don Curry is with us. You're listening to the Upland Nation podcast. Don is the chief instructor for the National Sporting Clays Association. Uh, probably got a great video. I can't wait to see that video on your website. So. Uh, please rush that into production uh we'll cover that uh some more shooting instruction uh the handle it segment this week is the pause that refreshes yeah take care of your dog's feet i'll give you some suggestions there all coming up in just a moment don stick with us while i pay the bills um speaking of shooting and shooting instruction mid valley clays and shooting school is um where you can practice that or you can take some instruction from some of the hunter instructors there if you're in western oregon that's the place to go midvalleyclays.com you can also shop the browning selection among other shotgun brands but they are sub gauge central at midvalleyclays.com so if you're looking for a gun that is not a 12 gauge give them a try talk to dave fiedler maybe he can get one when no one else can it's all at midvalleyclays.com and practice with your new pointer shotgun yes i am and boy am i shooting well that new 12 gauge they also have a 20 new 12 gauge side by side from pointershotguns.com 
uh, number one, swings just right for me. And it's uh, I was actually experimenting with something that Don and I were just talking about, that wide arc, that big swing. You'll see it in a video real soon, by the way. But uh, those are both, both the 20 and the 12 are available in uh, regular bluing, a nickel silver finish, case coloring, and all those Cerakote colors. So check them out at pointershotguns.com. You can find a nearby retailer. Shop all the models. If you're not into a break-open gun, they got plenty of semi-automatics as well. It's all at pointershotguns.com. And with that, let's get back to learning more about shooting with Don Curry, professional shotgun coach. And man, oh man, you are doing it right, my friend. Thanks again for being a part of the Upland Nation podcast. No, it, it's my pleasure. And and actually, we, we left off talking about doubles. And if, if you don't mind, I'll just uh, take a moment to expand on that. Yeah, yeah, let's, because that was on my list. <laughs> so one of the things that, that really... Um, inhibits a shooter, uh, an upland shooter, from uh, getting a double is the fact that they dismount with the backhand. So think about <laughs> a, a right-handed shooter, uh, and we talked about that, that uh, um, you know, faulty ready position with the barrels pointed straight in the air versus the proper ready position with the barrels just above parallel, um, the, the butt in front of uh, the armpit, and, uh, and, and the ability to move the gun with both hands right up to the cheek. Um, so, and that's great. If that's executed well on the first shot, that's terrific. But then if you, you actually dismount with the back hand to look for the second bird, what happens is that barrel goes straight up into the air, and now we're set up very poorly for our second shot. And in order to execute our second shot, we have to use a lot of backhand, and again, we've got a lot of uh, excess muzzle movement. So the key there is the dismount. Um, so the dismount simply needs to be uh, a, a mirror image of the mount. Um, we use both hands to bring the gun up to the target in the cheek. When we dismount, we dismount with both hands, uh, bringing the gun back to that position where the barrels are just above parallel. And that sets us up really nicely uh, for the second bird. And you don't have the, the muzzle or, or the front of the gun in the way as you're trying to acquire the second bird with your eyes. You know, that is so counter to what so many people do, especially on the clay's target, the clay target range. What, no matter what game you're shooting, you get two birds, uh, hard left to right crossers, and they're, they're flying basically in parallel or one after the other. You keep that gun up to your face, up to your shoulder, and you shoot one and you keep going and you shoot the other one. Is there? Yeah, no, yeah, that's true. And what I also see is, and, and this is very common among bird hunters, um, they only have one ready position, yeah. which is the one I described. But, you know, on a double, for example, if you've got a cubby, maybe you don't want to go all the way back down yeah. to uh, the ready position we've described after the first shot. Maybe you only want to go to let's say a half drop right mm -hmm, you, mm -hmm. you, you maybe separate the the, the uh, gun from the cheek by three or four inches so you can acquire that second bird and then go right to it yeah a little bit quickly and more efficiently uh in one book in fact i mentioned in this book as the bad example uh, <laughs> but he he describes it as a demi mount um so it and it works and and because one of the other bigger problems that i found in myself and i'm sure other people have as well and that is we're 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 looking for the second bird before we finish shooting the first bird so our head's coming up uh the gun comes out of alignment all things like that um right when when we are shooting a double and it's let's just call it a great wonderful covey bust on bob white so you got one going right and one going left we're also going to change a few other things before we shoot that second bird aren't we like, well I, like I, foot I, position yeah well we we might have to yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think with the with the feet uh, a little closer together and, and you know you you brought up the foot position which is really important because if you have your feet let's say a couple of feet apart 
you know, 24 inches apart, <laughs> which you see every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it, it really uh, inhibits your ability to move uh, in, in as, as wide an arc as you need to. So keeping those heels about 8 to 12 inches apart, depending on, you know, how, how big a per- person you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you basically want your weight um, of your, the weight of your body, your, your shoulder joints to be over your, the balls of your feet. How so about balls of shoulders over balls of the feet, but slightly back and nose over toes. How about the lead foot? How far forward should that hmm. be? Well, actually, the when you say forward, forward of the back foot. You mean? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm so, I'm looking down at my feet right now, yeah. and I, I'm doing what I think I heard you say, which is basically, I'll 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 call it squared up to the target. Mm-hmm. They're they're both in the same place under my shoulders facing mm-hmm. where I think the target's going to be. Should my, my lead foot be a little bit forward of that? Well, so the, the lead foot is really your pointer foot, right? Yeah. So it should, yeah. it should point for a right-handed shooter. Should point, if you're shooting sporting clays, for example, um, we, we have a little advantage in sporting clays because we know where our break points are, right? We know where we're, we're going to try to break the target. Yeah. Yeah. So if I'm a right-handed shooter, my lead foot, which is my left foot needs to be pointed about one o'clock of my break point. And if it's two targets, then it needs to be about one o'clock of the leftmost break point. So let me explain that. If, 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 uh, let's say our left target is, you know, going out at a certain angle. Um, if we point our, our left foot, we're a right-handed shooter. If we point our left foot directly where we're going to break it, that would be 12 o'clock. Okay. So we want to turn slightly to the right of where we're going to break it. Um, and, and if you sort of experiment with that a little bit, you'll see that that's, uh, you know, and if the idea is to have no tension in the body at the break point. <sighs> yeah. Now, yeah. I think what you're asking is, so we talked about the fact that we want our heels about 11 or 8 to 12 inches apart. But I think what you're asking is, so what should the angle of that back foot be and where should it be in relation to the front foot? So it, it should be behind and slightly offset as far as ankle, to, uh, as far as heel to heel. But where the, the right foot for a left hand, uh, for right-handed shooter, where should that right foot be pointed really depends on um, the, the build of the person. So you had a guy like, uh, you know, Robert Churchill, uh, one of the, uh, you know, the preeminent uh, um, folks in, in upland shooting uh, back in the early 1900s. I mean, he, he was a more portly guy. So he, he <laughs> you're being he diplomatic. Approached, <laughs> he, he approached a target that, that he, where he was a little more squared up, and he had uh, a, a, a wider angle between his his lead foot and his back foot. Whereas a guy like Percy Stanbury, uh, you know, he was uh, had his feet much closer together and angled a little bit similarly, more similarly than did Churchill. So, um, but I, I usually say the back foot on a on a uh, whether it's a let's say a, a right-handed shooter should be somewhere between you know one thirty and three o'clock, somewhere in there. But Got it. you know exactly where it should be pointed. I don't get real picky about it because I think that. Uh, the, the way a person naturally stands varies from person to person. There are people that you see, you stand, they'll be standing there on a, on a curb talking to, or on a sidewalk talking to you and their feet will be virtually parallel. Yeah. And then you see another person that, um, you know, when they stand comfortably with no tension and they're talking to you, they'll be standing uh, with their feet at a little bit of an angle apart. So yeah. uh, I think that's a little more individualized. The key is the front foot. Um, you know, where should, the front foot be pointed it should generally be pointed where you anticipate you're going to engage the bird got it and you're absolutely right i um um i was watching a, a video that was being edited for me yesterday and i realized man i, I am a kind of a duck foot kind of walker i always have been um so that's to me i think the key the takeaway from you on this is there shouldn't be tension you shouldn't be working too hard to adjust your foot position or your your, your stance. Period. Uh, the tension all needs to release at the point where you think you're going to hit the bird. 
Yeah, and, and you know when we talk about bird hunting, it's it's a little more difficult because birds are not predictable by the by their very nature. But if you're looking at sporting clays, uh, what our goal when we when when we set our body up for a particular sh- uh, target or a particular pair is that we want to achieve a body orientation where we have little to no tension at yeah. either break point. Yeah. That, that's the key. And, and what does that mean? You could, sta- you could literally stand there and hold the gun for an hour and you, you wouldn't feel any you know, tension other than you might, get, you, know, you, you're, you're, you might get just tired of standing there. But we don't want tension at the breakpoints. That's, that's the key. Cool. You're listening to the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden. I get to ask all the dumb questions. The smart answers are coming from Don Curry. Learn more about Don at doncurry.com. And that's C-U-R-R-I-E, unlike the Indian food. Doncurry.com has all sorts of great advice. And you can get his books and his DVDs there as well. Don, you know, the other thing that, uh, well, especially I um, discuss at great length with many people is eye dominance and uh how to how to work with that and and we could even broaden it a little bit more and talk about the importance of uh keeping both eyes open why don't you just uh, riff on that whole idea for a minute and give us the simplest way to figure out if we're cross dominant or not well, see that that's a tough one um, to to figure it out yourself. Um, you know, the most common thing that you hear shooters talk about is you know putting your hands out in front of you, uh, arms straight, uh, hands together, where your thumb and your forefinger um, uh, of each hand form like a triangle, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. come back. To, yeah. You know, look at an object and come back to whichever eye, whichever eye you come back to. That's the one you're more dominant in. And that's, um, that's the parlor trick I use at every seminar. Yeah, and that, you can do that. The problem is is that it doesn't work very well for those that are center ocular, and I'll talk yeah. about that in a second. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but only about 20% of the population is solidly dominant in one eye or the other. Okay. So everyone else is somewhere in between. Um, now, what does that mean? for the shooter and, 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 uh, you know, are they more or less likely to miss or hit or whatever? It completely depends on the individual. So you could have someone that is, is, uh, not solidly dominant in one eye or the other, but they're shooting just fine. They don't have any issues with targets coming from their periphery or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there are others that, that have a lot of, um, uh, they're, they're not very dominant one eye or the other. And they have a lot of what we call center ocular tendencies where, where that other eye will tend to take over on some targets, yeah. uh, but, but not all. And, and the some targets tend to be um, targets that are coming from the, non, the side of the non-shooting eye. So, for example, uh, for a right-handed shooter that has a little uh, center ocular tendency, so his left eye takes over every now and then, the targets that are give, going to give that shooter the most problems are going to be the ones coming from the left, whether it's quartering out or crossing left to right yep. uh, or, or quartering out from the le- off the left shoulder. Uh, those are the ones that are going to give that right-handed shooter the most problems that has uh, an issue where the left eye is taking over. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I deal with it every time I pick up a shotgun. Absolutely. So, what would you suggest for people who have a dominance issue? My, you know, I've I've tried everything. I I tried to learn how to shoot left-handed. That was a bust. I've put a patch on uh, my shooting glasses that obscures the muzzle when I mount the gun. That seems to be the best. Um, but uh, you know, closing your off eye, uh, I I just couldn't. I didn't have the discipline to keep pulling it together. What's your suggestion? Well, yeah. Oh, so okay. Two things. You, you asked me uh, in the, in the previous question, how, how does someone, you know, determine what their eye dominance is? I, I would suggest that they get their their smartphone. Yeah. And, and and point it toward them, but but rest it on a counter or against you know prop it up so okay. that it's facing straight out. Um, get about ten feet away from the phone where the phone is still recording. You know you, and then point to the lens of the camera on the smartphone uh, with your left hand, then your right hand, then your left hand, then your right hand, 
and uh, back and forth, back and forth, uh, and then um, take a look at that video. Oh, wow. And what you, what you want to look at is where are those index fingers that you're pointing with uh, on your left hand and your right hand? Where do they line up on your face? So if both fingers, your left and your right hand, uh, your left and your right index fingers come up on the right eye, then you're right eye dominant. Uh, and you're solidly right eye dominant. If they both come up on the left eye, then you're left eye dominant. And if they come up somewhere in between, then, you know, uh, that means that that left eye, you, you have a little bit of center ocular tendency. If, uh, and, and that non-shooting eye may very well take over on some targets. But then again, there are other shooters that, you know, will test center ocular and they have no issues with any targets. So, um, you know, part of this is up to, um, and I guess I'm, I'm plugging, um, you know, for your listeners to go, if they're, if they're struggling with what they think is an eye dominance issue, they need to go uh, visit a, uh, a shooting instructor yeah. that, that, that yeah. understands eye dominance and, and that can help them work through it. Now, l- let me get to your, your question, which is one that uh, it's sort of a little aggravating, frankly, because I hear, I have people come to me that said, that say, I've been trying to shoot with both eyes open and I just can't do it. And, and so-and-so told me that I've got to shoot with both eyes open That shooting with one eye closed is just, just not the right way to shoot. Mm-hmm. And, and I say, that's not true, but it depends on the person. Really? So if you have someone who's solidly dominant in one eye, it's unlikely that they need, they really need to close their non-shooting eye. And um, the reason is because their their you know shooting eye is the dominant eye mm-hmm. if they have some center ocular tendencies there where they're not solidly dominant in one eye they may need to wink an eye now i i know if some there's one or two people out there listening that'll say well that's just wrong yeah you know? and yep. the the, the fa- and and everybody should be able to shoot with both eyes you just need to train yourself <laughs> to shoot with both eyes and 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 here's the thing okay what we're talking about here is if someone is center ocular and that non-shooting eye is taking over, um, yes, theoretically, we can change the brain and what the eyes and the brain see as the proper image if we shoot enough and our brain is malleable enough. So what do I mean by that? Well, malleable enough means uh, that a, a, you know, the old adage that you ought to learn a language before you're Exactly. Your okay. your young skull of mush. Exactly. So the ability of a shooter or anyone to retrain the brain to see a different picture varies from person to person. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And and it has a lot to do also with number one, how often you shoot. Okay. Uh, because the more impressions the brain gets, the more likely it is to be able to alter uh, the picture. And then secondly, how old you are. Right. So, so I'm 62, as I've already said, and if I were starting to shoot right now and I had a little, uh, you know, uh, and I was center ocular, for example, and my left eye was taking over more than likely, I'd need to wink an eye just prior to that Mm -hmm. comb getting to my cheek. And if I, I, when I encounter a shooter that has uh, a little center ocular drift and is having problems with uh, that non-shooting eye taking over, if they're a hunter, I almost always recommend uh, that they wink an eye just before the uh, comb gets to the cheek. Um, You'll also hear talk of dots, using dots or occlusion foils. Okay, Mm -hmm. So uh, for hunters, I don't believe occlusion foils are a great solution because it cuts down (laughs) on your peripheral vision. But with with sporting clays, it, it is a viable solution for those people who are affected by you know uh, the non-shooting eye taking over on certain targets, um, and that's mainly because we know where the targets are coming from and where they're going in sporting clays, where we don't for a hunter. So I, if I, if I encounter a, a hunter that has an issue with that le- that non-shooting eye taking over, um, I almost always recommend that uh, they wink an eye just prior to the comb being committed to the cheek and and during our lesson we practice that and we get uh we get really good at timing that the the winking of the non-shooting eye so that when the gun gets to the cheek the brain is being fed information from 
the shooting eye rather than the non-shooting eye. You know, and you use that term, and, and I've seen it uh, elsewhere as well, and, and it, is, it is absolutely clear when you use the word wink as opposed to mm-hmm. squint that eye as close as you can the moment you see the dog on point. The first thing is you're going to trip over the dog. The second thing is right. <laughs> it, I th- it probably changes some of the physiology in your face that, it, that probably is just as bad as not winking at all. So well, I, I well, love let, that. Let's put it this way. Winking is not, is not preferable, okay? So yeah. if you shoot with both eyes open, you should shoot with both eyes open. So I'm told, um, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and there's a, there are a number of shooters that, that I see that, that come to me, and they're, they're just winking an eye from the beginning, and they don't really need to. And, and um, you know, w- one of the reasons may be they may have uh, a lot of experience shooting a rifle, right? Yeah. And, yeah. Or, or a pistol instead of uh, – instead of a shotgun we're you know in an ideal world um as a shooter we would be solidly dominant in one eye and we would keep both eyes open as we shoot but Mm -hmm. that's not everybody Mm -hmm. and but there's no reason why someone who's center ocular for example has to live with a handicap uh, and say well i'm just never going to shoot as well that that's just not not true um if they were if someone like that came to me I'm going to make them the best darn winking shooter uh, that, that they can possibly be. And by the way, we also have um, a, a documented uh, cases where we, we've got uh, competition shooters that wink an eye and, and, and they've been at the top of the game. So um, to say that you can't shoot well by winking an eye, if you need to wink an eye, uh, is just false. And you shouldn't feel any lesser of a shooter because you you happen to be one of those people that has to wink an eye it's, you know by percentage it's you know probably uh you know maybe 10 15 percent of shooters but but the ones that that do have that that are center ocular tend to struggle with it for a long time before they get help thank you you just saved me again and i will do that and and, and that is so true so um let's close with with what i think has become my nemesis of a shotgun hunting shot that the the biggest challenge i face is a low flying valley quail all right obviously we want to be safe we want to get ahead of the dog before we bust the bird up he's going to fly straight away from me and the dog is going to say staunch while i take that shot what am i going to do different from all the things you've described so far to shoot that bird that's streaking away at sagebrush level, five feet, you know, at my eye level, am I going to have to bend somewhere else or do I just do the focus thing the way you've described it and that will be enough? Um, uh, take me to school. Yeah, so, so I, I w- again, we're, we're talking about a, uh, uh, a, a bird that's, lower than normal he's, correct he's, he's, yeah he's, maybe it's a bouncing rabbit at the clay's range yeah. you know whatever yeah. it is and, it's and, low and, yeah 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 i got it and, and let's assume that the, the dog's out of the way right? yeah yeah um because obviously as a upland bird hunter over dogs we've always got to be conscious of our surroundings right we've got to be we got to know where the guide is we got to know where the dog is but having said that uh we, we do, the temptation is to bring the muzzle back uh to where the birds originating which is which would bring our barrels below parallel yeah and really we we don't really need to do that all we need to do is let the bird uh, if the bird's at eye level keep keep the gun angled um uh, straight ahead and let the bird fly above your muzzle and uh-huh. then cover it up and pull the trigger yeah yeah and you know i've, I've also had advice that suggests that's the first part of what you described is true almost always First off, don't look at the dog. Don't look at where the bird's going to fly from. Look right. more toward where the you think the bird is going to fly to. Exactly. Yeah, but that gun, the the ready position on a, what you expect to be a low bird is not lower. Right. So so again, you, you know, you go back to that good ready position. Yeah. Right. If you're if if you're starting with barrels pointing up in the air. Uh, you're at a pretty significant disadvantage for a bird like that. Whereas if you're um, if you're in a the good ready position that we're suggesting with with uh, barrels parallel, slightly above parallel to the ground, 
um, then you're, you're in a pretty good position to mount that gun, uh, let the bird fly above your muzzle, and then cover it up, pull the trigger. Love it. Boom. Maybe I'll have a, an extra quail fall to my shot this season as a result. <laughs> uh, Don Curry is the chief instructor at the National Sporting Clays Association. He's one of us, a bird hunter, but he just gets to go to cooler places. Shotgun instructor and gun fitter. This guy knows his stuff. Learn more about him at doncurry.com. Don, C-U-R-R-I-E.com. Don, every time I talk to you, I feel like I need to send you a check when I'm done. <laughs> Appreciate all the great advice. What an incredible lesson. Thank you so much for being Flipping, a part. It's always a, pl- always a pleasure to join you, Scott. All right, thanks. We'll talk again. We'll compare notes after your next hunt and mine too. Thanks so much. Sounds good. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. And while Don has uh, left us, left the building, uh, we've still got a lot to talk about the um, – care and feeding of your dog's feet uh and why that's so important even now yeah it's a you know it's one of those things that you ought to do on a regular basis and i'll give you more on that real soon first a word from sageandbreaker.com yep you probably remember the father's day sale and if you didn't get in on it sign up for the mailing list and you will be given advance notice of the next one You'll also find out about all the new products. Just sign up at sageandbreaker.com. While you're there, watch some of their instructional videos. Uh, you've you got a handgun. you got a rifle. you got shotguns of various sorts. Well, our friends at sageandbreaker.com have videos on how to take care of all of them. Yeah, the right way. <laughs> so learn how to take care of your guns so it can take care of you this season go to sageandbreaker.com and uh, one way to take care of your gun is to put in some great aftermarket choke tubes new chokes from truelockchokes.com for some of the cdc yildiz and Rosini tristar all new so if you've got one of those take a look at truelockchokes.com they have choke tubes for everything from turkey season to every single upland bird you might want to take a shot at over 2,000 different shotgun chokes many in the sub gauges so take a look at truelockchokes.com before the season starts so you can get uh, a little practice in i i can almost guarantee you You'll put another bird in your bag every once in a while if you're using a good set of choke tubes at truelockchokes.com. That's where you're going to get them. You know, in our Handle It segment this week, um, you know, I was working on Flick, um, which reminds me, i got to fix the woe table. Man, it's been out in the weather for about 12, 15 years. But anyway, um, I, I generally do this fairly regularly. I take care of his feet all season, of course, with a different regimen. But for the off-season, I get them ready. Here are the two things I do on a regular basis beyond simply inspecting them to make sure that they're in good shape. I moisturize his paws, and then I keep the nails trimmed. Yeah, it's there's a geometry thing in the long nails. If you hit wrong on the long nails when you're jumping off the porch in the backyard... You can break a toe. Don't ask how I know it. But beyond keeping the nails trimmed, and I use a, a Dremel tool. You can use whatever you like. A lot of people like the, 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 the cutters, but the Dremel works for us. Um, I moisturize. And it, it the, the dogs get used to it pretty fast, but I use this stuff um, called Profoot Heel Cream because I was desperate one day on a long hunt. And that was the only thing they had. But uh, whatever it is, use something on all the skin of your dog's paws on a regular basis. And I do it two, three, four times a week during the off season. Because what you don't want is you don't want what, you know, guitar players have on the tips of their uh, fingers, on their fretting fingers. Um, And mine are all going away. But you know what a callus is. Think about that. Some people will suggest that what we want is our dogs to have calloused pads, hard, rigid. And then what happens? Well, on your guitar fingers, or if you work with your hands a lot, you get calluses, and eventually they dry up 
crack and peel off. And then what do you got? Yuck. Raw, bleeding skin underneath. That's what a rock or a hard place or a stob from one of those plants will do to your dog's paws in the field. Keep them moist, flexible, supple is the best word I've got. You do that by moisturizing your dog's paws and not just the flat parts. Go in between the toes and get the edges and the rim and all of that. And I tell you, it will pay off in a few days or a a mist crack or less peeling. Those things work, take my word for it. That's a video I ought to do sometime. Anyway, if you want more of that, you know where to find it. Find birdhuntingspots.com. Lots of stuff on your bird dog right there. And welcome to the fold. Speaking of shooting instruction, Hi-Viz Shooting Systems, H-I-V-I-Z, H-I-V-I-Z, sites.com is where you learn more about these folks. They have developed all those incredible Well, tritium fiber optic sites, light pipe technology, all sorts of ways to help you focus literally better on your shooting. They've been around since 1996 and true to their vision, they are advancing the the art of shooting. Whether it's in the field or at the range, high-vis sites will do something to improve your shooting. Visit high-vis, H-I, V-I-Z, sites.com and learn all about their product line. Yeah, most of them are so simple, even I can install them. HiVizSites.com and welcome to the club, HiVizSites.com. Well, thank you, Don Curry, for taking us to school, almost literally, on so many aspects of shooting. I hope everybody learned something from Don. I know I did. Thank you if you comment at the social platforms or if you left a rating or a review. Thank you to our sponsors, starting with Hi-Viz Shooting Systems and including Sage and Breaker, Pointer Shotguns, Purina Pro Plan Sport, Mid-Valley Clays and Shooting School, and TrueLockChokes.com. Get more information on Don Curry at Don, C-U-R-R-I-E dot com, DonCurry.com. And get more information on this podcast, among other things, at findbirdhuntingspots.com. Until I see you at the range, have a great day. Thanks for listening. I'm Scott Linden. This is the Upland Nation Podcast.